Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. And uh, great to have your company for the next hour or so for the call. 10 stocks that you've suggested put to our expert panel for their adjudication, we do that all in 60 minutes. And we've got um, a festival of the Michaels today in terms of our expert panel. Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities. Michael, how are you, sir? You well? Thank you. Thanks, David. And the, uh, Michael Wayne from uh, Medallion uh, Financial. Michael, if, if you think Michael's looking sort of glowing, can we use that as a description for a bloke? I think we can. Glowing after getting married on the weekend. Congratulations, Yeah, mate. thank well you. Done. I don't know about glowing. I'm not <laughs> bloody exhausted <laughs> now that it's over. <laughs> well, it is uh, It is Wednesday, so you've made it through to Wednesday. Yeah. You've had a couple of days to dry out and enjoy it. But congratulations. Thank, That's thank right. you. All went well? All went well. Stopped raining just in time. So we're very fortunate uh, with regards to the weather. Everyone seemed to have had a good time. Uh, yeah. But it was good. a big couple of days. Um, but looking yeah. forward to the rest of our lives together yeah. now. Oh, gee. <laughs> Michael See, look, it's obviously it's very romantic, isn't it? Yeah. He's got that side to it. Yeah, we used to be like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All those years ago, we used to be like that. Nah, it's wonderful. All right, let's um, get stuck into the call. Today we've got a fair bit to get through. I always come up with a stock of the day, a stock that's uh, been in the news. Uh, Fonterra uh, came out with an update recording its biggest ever monthly increase in imports from China, jumped nearly 26% in January compared to the same month last year. Thanks to the increase, fluid milk products in New Zealand and Europe. Bit of an update from the, uh, from the New Zealand dairy group. Uh, Michael Gable, um, how do you rank Fonterra, and is yep. this news a plus or a negative for them? Um, I mean, it seems like a very resilient business, yep. uh, you know, in exporting their milk products. I mean, obviously it's a staple and it's um, still demanded uh, overseas. Um, I mean, numbers were down a little bit in the US Europe, but that fantastic growth number um, for China was, was good to see. Yep. Um, I guess the, the risk from this point is you know, if they don't continue to see this sort of growth from China, I think as a business, yep. you know, growth will just be slow. It'll just be one of those mature yep. companies that... Uh, so they're, they're in this batch that mm. is very heavily leveraged uh, to China and any trade tensions, aren't they? This batch of companies. Yeah, luckily New Zealand seems to, you know, they don't seem to be the bad boy in the block like Australia oh, at yeah, the moment. So, so that's holding up 
yeah. up better. But look, that that is one risk. Um, and the other one, what I've noticed today is that it seems like no shares have traded um, right. during the day. So ah. I guess you know you have a risk that you buy something and. Um, if there's no volume happening during the day, if you want to get out, that could be a little bit difficult. Yeah. So, uh, look, I, th- I think it's a type of business that will steadily grow. They seem to be uh, increasing that market share in China, but um, I think over time, growth will be quite slow compared to other businesses which are now emerging out of the whole COVID yeah. thing and yeah. they might grow a lot better. Plus, the liquidity um, is a slight concern. Right. So, it's not one I'd hold, but as a business, it looks like right. it should do okay. Yeah, yeah. But better options elsewhere, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Michael Wayne, what do you reckon Fonterra? Well, Fonterra is actually, I think, the biggest company in New Zealand, yeah. um, and it's owned by 11,000 co-op farmers. Um, this particular vehicle gives Australian investors access to that business. Um, so I'm not sure about the liquidity of it. It doesn't look too liquid, um, but it does give you exposure to that um, dairy theme explosion into China with demand yeah. increasing. But it's always easier said than done with these sorts of things. I think Fonterra supplies about 30% of the world's milk. But basically what it does is it goes around to all the farmers, buys the milk off them, and then we'll find markets to export it to. Um, So when milk prices are low, it's actually a positive for Fonterra because they're able to extract a higher margin. So volumes is one thing, but in the end of the day, it's the price as well that they're able to collect the milk at, which sort of drives their success. So... It's one thing, obviously, to have this great month with China, um, but it also depends on what the prices are for milk in the New Zealand market at the moment, the farm gate prices are. Um, But it's definitely a pure exposure to the dairy industry. But just like with every agribusiness, and particularly (laughs) in dairy, it is very cyclical. And there are so many different variables at play, currency, farm gate milk prices, demand volumes, et cetera. So for me, me it's a no-go, but it's an exposure to a high-quality operator in that space. All right. Um, it's because I think you both always often comment that if if a stock looks too complicated, yeah, um, there are easier stocks out there. You're only going to hold twenty or thirty stocks yeah. in your portfolio, so why don't you just go for the easy ones? That's <laughs> what I make think. Make life difficult for yourself. That's what I think, and I think often even in this dairy space, the product manufacturers, such as an A2 milk, often yeah. extract the higher margins and have greater control over their product. Um, I wouldn't be buying A2 milk at the moment, but it's just an example of one that has had a lot of success over, over the years. Me. Yeah, okay. All right, let's get into the uh, stocks that you've sent in and uh, suggested we have a look at. And uh, Michael Wayne, Helen from uh, Helen wants a view on Warley, the uh, big global engineering company, provides design and project delivery, maintenance, support. Um, operates in the the energy, chemical and resources sector, recently sold off a a slice of it too, the capital projects advisory business, didn't they? That's it. got some cash for it. So this business has been around for a long Long time. time. Um, It's one of the top Australian mining services companies, one of the top mining services companies globally. And an industry where you win projects, not just on cost, but your ability to deliver projects on time and on budget. Wally's always in a fairly strong competitive position. Um, 2020 was a, a tough one for the industry. They cut back a lot of their capital expenditure because um, there were obviously a lot less projects being pushed ahead with overseas. Yep. Um, often with these sorts of companies, the best way to determine what revenue and, and profit is going to look like in the, into the future is how much they're spending on CapEx today. So last year, I think they cut back their CapEx from I think most of their divisions. However, notably this time around, it looks like they're increasing their capex for 
all those three um, chemicals, energy and resources, yeah. okay. which bodes well for their pipeline of projects and their future growth. Um, a lot of their projects last year were deferred and of those projects that were deferred for 2020, it looks like 85% of those projects are going to be accounted for in 2021. So that's a good sign. Um, it shows that there hasn't been too much of a drop off because of COVID. Um, but again, it is a, quite a lumpy industry given the cycles of different commodities. Um, I think they're probably most aligned to hydrocarbons such as energy these days. So if you can see a pickup in that particular market, then that bodes well for Wally. But if you're gonna pick a mining services company, Wally's probably the go-to at this oh, point in the okay. cycle. All right. Um, Monodelphus is, is the is other, other one, one as so. well. Um, but I think Wally has done a lot of balance sheet management in recent years. They've sold off different uh, inefficient arms. Um, and it's a well-managed company with a, a long track record of success. So for that reason, if you like the outlook for the energy space in yeah. particular, I think Wally is not a bad play. From mine, I've got it as a, a bit of a hole, just still targeting the pure energy producers at this point. Yeah. But if that cycle really does start to kick into gear, Wally's worth a look. Okay. Michael Gargle, what do you think? Yeah, look, similar comments. I, I think that they're in a bit of a sweet spot in terms of what's coming ahead in the next year or two with um, expenditure in um, you know, mining, energy, uh, chemicals. Um, as, as Michael said, a lot of the work from last year was deferred. And, and when the company uh, in February, uh, I guess, mentioned this to the market and gave, gave the market a bit of a trading update, the share price fell about 10%. Um, and it hasn't really recovered since then. So I think, I think at the moment there's probably better opportunities elsewhere as well. I think if you're looking for energy exposure, I'd be buying um, some of the big energy stocks directly like, you know, Woody's or, right. um, or Santos. But right. um, look, ultimately it should, should do well in this environment of increased um, mm. expenditure in the resources sector. So at the moment, you know, the share price seems to already be factoring in what the market expects over the next 12 months. So we need some sort of catalyst. Hopefully they could you know, announce some new contract wins and that might get it going. Um, but yeah, look, happy to hold as well. Um, happy right. to keep an eye on it, um, but not a buy just yet. Okay, all right. Um, our next stock that uh, viewers have sent in is uh, Ingham's group, the uh, big chicken group. Ingham mm. family, I don't think, are involved anymore, are they? Um, but um, fairly timely as well. Obviously, uh, Australia's biggest um, chicken producer and supplier. They supply all the chooks to KFC and all that sort of stuff as well and have their own brands in supermarkets. But uh, going through a management changeover, which has been yeah. announced in the last couple of days. Yeah, not, not the best timing. So the issue here with Ingham's is half the volume of of chickens is sold through Woolworths and their yep. current five-year deal with Woolworths ends in August. So they need to renegotiate a new contract and then the CEO decides to right. um, pack up stuff. So it's not a good look um, to leave that, that, that contract hanging. Um, I guess other negatives for the company, you know, the, the gearing's a bit high. Um, you know, wheat prices have been dropping um, and wheat is an input, obviously, for, for feed, um, for the chickens. But, you know, if it looks like the market's sort of expecting or hoping that they'll continue to drop, which will help them. But if that doesn't, then, you know, it, it, you're not getting that decrease in costs that I think the market's hoping for. And already it trades on a P that's a, a little bit above average. So right. I'd definitely be avoiding this one at the moment. Um, 
because of all those negatives, but the main one being that, that big Woolworths contract and the yeah. CEO just jumping ship. Is it, isn't that interesting because, um, you know, getting into Woolworths is huge for any company, but, uh, and you go, well, that's a big tick, but then you've got to look at, well, what's the margin on it? And yeah. if it becomes too big, you are susceptible to times like this when there's contract rollout, right? Yeah. Half the yeah. chickens go to Woolies. That's huge, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, surely, yeah, sure they could, you know, sell chickens elsewhere for higher margin. But a big, you know, it's not like they're a very small producer and they've, they've sort of got no other choice. I mean, with Ingham's, if they could really do a much better deal by not being at Woolworths, I'm sure they would have taken that by now and they right, haven't. Yeah. So I guess the volumes are enough that mm. they really do need to stick okay. with that deal. All right. What do you reckon? Yeah, so this is a business that was sort of private equity hands before yeah. it listed. And I'm not sure it is today the same business as it was when it was family run. I think they might have divested a few key assets here and there along the way. Um, the thing with, with Ingham's is it's actually very short sold at the moment for reasons Michael's touched upon. They're trying to renegotiate this contract. But also there's been a lack of cost control uh, in recent years, which has been an issue for them. The product mix as well has been a little bit challenging. So if you sell a raw breast of chicken, you don't get the same margin as you do if you process it, turn it into chicken tenders and then sell it through Woolworths. Right. So that whole balance has been a little bit skew if in recent times. Ideally, they'd like to be selling more of the higher margin products and the lower margin products. Um, but I think, look, it's a, it's a difficult business again because it is so reliant on one or two customers and it's always going to be fairly low margin for that reason uh, and that's why we, we tend to, to steer clear of it. Um, it's just not mm. that exciting. Um, there's a lot of issues that they're facing at the moment, mainly with cost control, product mix um, and so yeah, I'll give that one a mm. miss. Okay. Um, just to follow up on your point that it sort of came out of private equity, private mm -hmm. equity buys it from the family and, mm, yeah. and then lists it. Do you have a, a rule of thumb on private equity floats when no, I mean, they not. come through? Do you do you think, <laughs> oh, God, a private equity, you're going to sell it and get out of it? Why would you get into it? I think you have to be a little bit cautious with the track record in the last five years to a yeah. decade for sure. Yeah. Can't, I don't think rule it out completely because then you'll be probably never buying many IPOs because <laughs> private equity seem to have their fingers in, in most in pies okay. these days. All right. But I mean, with Ingham, they've got a, a long-term natural thematic of people are eating more and more chicken. Yeah. Um, it's cheaper than beef. But from here on in, is it, like the demand for chicken really going to explode maybe as much as it has over the last 50 years? I mean, once upon a time, a Sunday chicken roast for the family yep. was the, the bee's knees. But these days, it's just a, a good filler for any sandwich or, or any... Oh, meal. that's a bit harsh. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, but You've you know never had my cheesy spaghetti and barbecue <laughs> chicken, have you? No, it's a no but it's, it's just lost my its... signature dish. I'm just explaining. The demand has <laughs> exploded and that's unlikely to be replicated again. So yeah, okay. there's different thematics that need to play out and I think the best is behind them for All now. Right. Okay. Uh, Tammy wants a view on GUD Holdings, the uh, big manufacturer and importer of yep. uh, pumps and pools and spa systems, water pressure systems, um, Sam, but in Australia, New Zealand, France and Spain. Yes, yeah, so it's GUD, it's been, been around, around a long time, hasn't it? A very long time, I think in the 60s I was reading yeah. just before, so been around a long time, um, had decent success I suppose. Their main, their main source of revenue and revenue growth is the automotive part of their business and they've been doing a few acquisitions in this space. Um, which do sort of set the company up quite nicely going forward should they be able to integrate those acquisitions as they hope and as they plan to do. 
Um, most automotive businesses have done well during COVID. Mm -hmm. You look at BAPCOR, you look at ARB Holdings, GOD is no different. Yep. Um, so from that point of view, the, the, the outlook looks quite good. But again, it's there's probably better alternatives in this sector. Right. Um, and it's not a company that I'm overly familiar with. And for that reason, I'd have to do a lot more work on it. But the business, look, it's not a bad quality business. I mean, bolting on a number of quality acquisitions, um, for that reason, it seems okay. But yeah, other preferences at this point in time. Um, in the set, what were BAPCOR? BAPCOR and super uh, cheap or? BAPCOR's got um, things like Autobahn. Um, oh. They've got things like, I think, oh. um, what else do they have under their banner? They've got the second. So they're, they're, they're a big competitor to super. That's right. I mean, and Repco is another one out there as well. Yep. But basically, they're the aftermarket car parts. Um, yep. This is in a similar space, uh, but it's also a bit more diversified, as you touched upon in the intro. Yep. All right, Michael Gable, what do you think of the um, Yeah, look, I mean, their, their recent results in February were, were pretty good, better than what the market expected. But yep. um, the telling sign is that ever since that result, the share price has gone backwards. So mm. I think the market leading into the result was already pricing in the fact that they've got these nice tailwinds of COVID, no one's traveling, they're spending their money on on these bits and pieces to, you know, whether it's a new pool pump or, or new bits for your car. Yep. Um, and I think the same, it was the same with BAPCOR as well. I've noticed that, you know, after their nice result, the share price hasn't really kicked on. So I think maybe everyone got a little bit optimistic um, about, you know, their earnings and um, and obviously we're entering a period of vaccinations and everyone's now looking towards hopefully traveling again and, and not spending you know, more money on fixing up the, you know, the beaten old uh, the car. Yeah, car, <laughs> car in the garage. So look, yeah. ultimately yeah, the business is fine, but it, it comes down to the right price at the moment. It seems like it's, it's all fully priced in. So I wouldn't be holding it. I think if you want to buy it, I think investors can be patient, wait a few months and and if it comes back to cheaper levels, then it's okay. it's worth revisiting. All right. Uh, so GUD has been around for a while. One that, uh, let's go to retail space and a newer online retailer, the darling of uh, COVID lockdown, um, Michael Gable, Temple and Webster. Charles wants a view mm. on the, uh, the online homeware retailer that yep. really did shoot the lights out during lockdown as everyone stayed at home and got sick of their sofa and ordered another one online. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think from memory there, I remember their September numbers. Um, and actually, this is a good lesson as to what's happening now with the share price. Their sep September quarter numbers uh, for those three months were the equivalent of the prior 12 months for their business. So wow. in that three months till September, they really just knocked it out of the park. A spectacular set of numbers. Um, and I think the share price got smashed over 10%. So yeah. I guess it's another classic example of everyone's getting excited, everyone's pricing in uh, levels of growth, which uh, I guess just not not sustainable. Great yeah. levels of growth, but yeah. you know, maybe everyone's getting a little bit overly optimistic. So you could look at this business and say, okay, well, structurally everyone, it has changed a bit. People have moved to online shopping and, and they're gonna do a bit more of that compared to what they were doing before. So, you know, the business will always be there. They'll always sell more goods than what they did previously. But again, it comes down to the price. I think, you know, this is this is a stock where over the last several months, it's traded between about $8 and $14. So if you're the, the poor bloke that sort of picked it up at the top of that range, you're sitting on massive losses. So yeah. it can be very dangerous. 
Um, look, I think they'll continue to grow really, really well over the next however many years. Um, but it looks like the, the market's been overly optimistic and the share price continues to slide um, since, it, since it peaked there in October. So look, for me, here it is an avoid. Um, you know, maybe when everyone's forgotten about it and moved on to other ideas and the share price is back at, yeah. you know, seven bucks, then maybe, yeah. you know, that, that represents good value. But I think at the moment, there's still investors exiting and, and moving into other areas. So yeah. I'd avoid it for now. Okay. Um, and Michael Wayne, it's uh, like COVID has been fantastic for us. Um, but as we get back to some sort of post-pandemic normal, people will go back to the shops. Mm-hmm. That's not to say they'll do bad. They'll probably still do really well compared with what they were doing before the pandemic, but they're not going to shoot the lights out as when we're all locked down. So is that sort of investor expectations have got to change for it? That's what I think the big issue is. They've had all this demand possibly pulled forward. Yeah. um, And sure, demand is going to continue into the future, but the rates of growth that we've seen recently are just not going to be repeated. And it's how do you work out compared to where they were before, where they were at COVID, where they're gonna land somewhere in the middle, but that's a pretty wide range. Um, And and Michael touched upon it as well. Like once we return to normal, we're spending normally like some exorbitant amount on overseas travel per year, let alone domestic travel as well. At the moment, we just don't have that expenditure. Um, That money is going towards other things and it's finding its way to to retailing, whether it be clothing retailing or Nick Scarly Furniture or Harvey mm. Norman, JB Hi-Fi, all these companies have been beneficiaries of that. And you'd have to think that those COVID winners will at some point be COVID laggards when we still hit that recovery path. Um, so for mine, great business that made the most of a tough situation, um, really managed to move its business into the online space, which helped yep. boost up their margins. But we've seen management, um, and not just sort of the CEO, a couple of the top tier managers um, selling down big stakes in the company. And I think that might have also helped take a bit of wind out of the sales. So for now, I just want to see this company cycle through more normalised environment and conditions um, just to see how they do hold up once we do return to a semi-normal world. So it's a no-go for me. Okay. All right. Um, and our fifth stock, Stephen Michael Wayne wants a view mm-hmm. on AMP Capital. Well, hasn't AMP and AMP been Capital been in the news the last couple of days? Yep. AMP Capital was in discussions with are they Aras Management Co- Co- Corporation? Management. Um, Aras were going to buy a stake, sixty percent stake in AMP Capital, give AMP one and a half billion dollars in cash. To uh, which would have looked good for AMP because it's had real troubles the last two years, and in the last day or so, um, the sort of thirty-day exclusivity period for negotiations finished, and Aras hasn't made a decision. Yep, um, so it's spooking the market, is it? That's it. So the whole thing is everyone's desperate. Every, all AMP shareholders are desperate to get some <laughs> sort of deal over the line. And it's important to make the distinction. AMP Capital is a part of the AMP right. group. group. Um, but AMP Capital is supposedly the best quality part yeah. of AMP. So it's not the wealth management, it's not the financial planners. Uh, AMP Capital, from what I understand with this discussions with Ayers Management, surrounds their private markets business, which is their infrastructure funds and their property funds. So excludes their equity um, and share funds, which aren't that good in my opinion anyway. So <laughs> probably the, the cream of the crop when it comes to the AMP funds which would basically give AMP $1.55 a share worth in cash just for the AMP capital part of the business. 
So as you see at the moment, the share price of AMP is a $1.28. It's not placing much value on the rest of the company. Mm. So the fact that they've walked away after this 30-day exclusivity period is a negative, you would have to think, because if you were heirs, you would rather type the deal if you were so keen, because now you're just allowing outside parties to come in and compete with you if you want, or if they wanted to. So it's a tough one. I wouldn't be Jeez. buying AMP now. I, no, if, I, if I held that, it... That is a freaking horrible chart, isn't yeah, it? Well, that's AMP's chart, yep. Yeah, and if you took that back to to 2000, roughly when it listed, I don't think it ever reached its listing price. So right. it's always been a downhill slope like that. If I owned AMP, I'd be holding on to it because I do think at some point someone will buy right. the corpse of this company um, or, or the bits of the corpse. <laughs> but if, <laughs> I, if I was looking words. for... Um, <laughs> If I was looking to buy into a business, AMP wouldn't be high on my priorities list. You would have to have nerves right. of steel and be hoping that there's some significant takeover because there are funds out there globally that do target cor- like um, corporate activity and, and yeah, M&A vulture activity, funds. vulture funds, yeah. and they could well and truly you know, end up with a 50% to 100% return pretty quickly. But as a, a retail investor, um, investing super funds money, I wouldn't be looking at it. Yeah, bit too hard. A bit too hard. Okay, Michael? Yeah, I echo, echo those thoughts. So if I was looking for a financial stock that wasn't a big four bank, I'd be looking at a Macquarie bank. You don't, you know, you, you don't try to buy this and then just cross your fingers and hope that someone just magically appears in the newspaper tomorrow. Yeah. You know, oh, someone's offering. But if you're you already know, in whatever. there, you'd, you'd hold so it. So it depends if you, if you have better things to do with, with your cash. Um, I think that's got better things to do. That's true. <laughs> so I guess it's a no. Oh, look, I mean, what's interesting is that it, just when you feel like it can't get worse for AMP, it does. I mean, you know, we thought the CEO was going to leave on rumours yeah. a few days ago as well, to Ferrari. So uh, it's, is it, it seems like is it's... Has that been confirmed or they're still... I don't know. It was a bit of a strange strange one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah uh, maybe Financial was, Review reported it. It, it was yeah. implied, certainly, but there was no actual finality Decision. to it. Okay. So I think, yeah, when everyone's negative on the stock and giving up on it, it's probably as low as it's going to get. And we saw with yeah. that chart, that really long-term chart, there it is again. It sort of has leveled out as a positive. I mean, we could say, okay, early 2020, it's, <laughs> it hasn't got worse than that. So, so maybe everyone's- Gee, you're a nice bloke. <laughs> so if everyone's giving up on the stock and, and it just seems like nothing can go right for the company, then you know, maybe, that is, maybe that is rock bottom, um, but that's, so look, you know, if you're holding it, I think you know there is potential here that either other institutions start to accumulate the shares because, right. as, as as Michael mentioned, if you know if the AMP capital is worth say dollar fifty five and it's trading at a dollar twenty eight, yeah. you know maybe there is right. enough there. But yeah, look, it's a tough one. Ultimately, it's no, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's and if you're already in it, you've just got to decide whether. I mean, most people, it's widely held AMP. It's up there oh. with like well, BHP, CBA, it's big, iconic. Big four banks. And they've yeah. held, the people have probably held it 10, 15 years. And unless they've added to it over that course of time, their yeah. position would be fairly small, you would imagine, yeah. given how much the share price is. Because people declined. just can't take a loss. So That's they've it. just held yeah. it and it's been a loss since day one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the selling that I've seen in AMP, I, I hate to say is through deceased estates. So if people uh, end up getting AMP shares uh, um, on an SRN yeah. from their husband or whoever it is, and then they just flog it then. So I think there's a demutualization that, that meant a lot of the population ended up getting yeah. 
units in AMP, just like yeah, with other things. So it's what one of those stocks when you're doing tax at, at the end of June, you've made a big gain on something during the year. Yeah. Flog your AMP for the big loss to <laughs> exactly. you know to offset the capital gain. Talk to your accountant uh, about yeah. that. All right. Um, Let's recap the first uh, five stocks, including our stock of the day, Fonterra, no. Uh, Worley, a hold from both the Michaels. Ingham's a no. Uh, GUD, a no. Uh, Michael Wayne prefers uh, Babcorp in that, um, in that sector. Temple and Webster, a no, and a no for AMP Capital. Uh, here at the call, we have our own fantasy f- portfolio that... We've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If that stock comes up again in the future, even in front of a different panel and doesn't get unanimous thumbs up, it goes out. Let's see how it's been going. And for the week, down 1.5%, up three quarters of a percent for the month and up 23% since the 1st of July. Looking at some of the stocks that have been recently added, Bell Financial Group, uh, Pacific Smiles, E-Road, Western Areas and Super Retail have been added by our expert panel and some of the stocks that have been turfed out of the portfolio, Instec Pivot and Premier Investments. If you want to check all the stocks in the portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, just a programming note, OpenPay commencing a a $67 million capital raise through Insto placements and a share purchase plan for all the details. Uh, we're going to speak uh, live to Michael Edel from uh, OpenPay, the chief executive, at 1.20 this afternoon. So you don't want to miss that. All right, let's get uh, into our uh, second five stocks. And Michael Wayne Lamb wants a view on Jumbo Interactive, the online lottery business. Um, not only here, but sort of expanding overseas yep. at the moment. They, they club, everyone calls them the online lottery business because that's what they do, mm-hmm. but they actually call themselves um, a lottery software business, don't they? Yeah, so, what's well, the platform which allows platform. people to access different lotteries in Australia and overseas on their phone or on their laptop or desktop, yep. whatever it might be. So it's basically an interface which makes it just very easy for people to, to enter lotteries. Um, yep. So it's basically got a, a subscription model, software as a service model. It's a capital light business. Um, they've got a pretty strong balance sheet, which allows them to take on whatever initiatives that they wish. Um, but the big factor for Jumbo Interactive is the jackpots that are out there. And then last year there were uh, there was a 50% decline in the large jackpots. You can obviously understand that as the jackpots start to build, more and more people get enticed yeah. to enter the lotteries. And that can be a real sort of tailwind for Jumbo. Um, we used to like this business a couple of years ago and actually did very well out of it, but we've just sort of exited for now, um, moved into a bit of a just a hold pattern on it, just because of that issue that was unfolding during the COVID year yeah. where jackpots came down a while. Um, but we do quite like the concept um, and the fact that it is starting to be able to build out its exposure mm-hmm. to international as well, because it's a very easy to use platform. And rather going to the individual lotteries websites, you can just simply go into Jumbo and it collates it for you. It tells you where the biggest jackpots are, the timing right. of each next um, lottery. But they've got to keep going around and signing up more exclusivity agreements, and that yeah. should help them as well. Yeah. Gee, it's um, at half its peak yeah. on the five-year chart, isn't it? So yeah. it's really come back a bit. Mm. Michael Gable, what do you think of Jumbo Interactive? Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, well, they have a big deal with Tabcorp too, don't yeah. they, for, to do the online version yeah. of their their lotteries and just renegotiated at the end right. of last year. So that's behind they? them now. Which and Tabcorp's a shareholder in them as well. Yeah, yeah so look, not, not a bad business, um, but I guess, yeah, from this point onwards, uh, you know, where are they going to see... Uh, where are they going to see the growth? So if we look at, um, you know, the other the other company I like in the sector, Aristocrat, I guess Aristocrat could benefit from people getting out, going back to casinos and, and so on and using the products, whereas Jumbo, everyone's already using it. And I just can't right. see the, I just can't see the growth being as rapid as perhaps uh, other companies in the sector. I mean, they've, they've done a good job. The shares aren't I guess underperforming the market, they've gone sideways just like our market over the last sort of yeah. number of months. So it doesn't look terrible, <coughs> but I think as a buy here, um, yeah, I, I couldn't be buying it um, just here ultimately. Uh, yeah, okay. it's just not performing. But in that space, you prefer aristocrat at the moment? Yeah. Would that be a better yeah, one definitely. to go into? Yeah, 100%. All right. Uh, what about Ainsworth? Speaking of which. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Jake wants to be on this. Now, Ainsworth is sort of a mini aristocrat, isn't it? Mm. And was spun out from by some of the family, the original Ainsworth family. That, yeah, that's, that's there right. Was a, a bit of a dispute yep. sort of with the old man. And yeah. they said, okay, we'll go and set up our own business. And, uh, and, I think he's, and I think he got a pretty, well, you know, one pretty good deal where I think, uh, I think aristocrat has to, to buy him a new car every few right. years and he could pick whatever he wants I think the I think recently it was a Rolls-Royce and now it's a, a Porsche but yeah. um, either way he's still he's still doing really well um, Len but uh, yeah look I mean I'll, as, as I just mentioned aristocrats the you know my pick in the sector um, but um, but Ainsworth's I mean the share price has done really well mm. we could see since December it's um, I think it's quadrupled or or something like that. So look, it's starting to get going again. Again, this is a company that benefits from that reopening. They've got, um, they sell machines to, to South America and the US as well, um, and of course Australia. So I guess I'm looking at companies like this, which yeah, just have that leverage to, to more people getting out and about and, and, uh, and, and heading out to the casino. So they'll benefit. Um, I think the share price probably still has a bit more upside. So if you're happy for a bit of risk, I think that um, that share price can continue to to mm. kick on a bit from here and um, and improve. But um, if you're looking for a little bit more stability, I'd go with um, with Aristocrat because the earnings for Ainsworth Gaming have been you know quite up and down over the years. Right. I think last year they made a loss, um, whereas Aristocrat for who knows however many years they've they've just grown their earnings by mm. double digit percentages every year. So right. that's you know, that's to me. That's rock solid. Right. Um, and in Clubland, I know nothing about sort of Clubland where they buy all these poker machines. I, is it a bit like getting into a hospital if you're a a, a medical service provider? Yeah. It's hard to get in, but one, once you've you've got your machines in that club, mm. it's hard for the club to take them out again. That you know, it's, you have sticky customers, or yeah, I, or I'd do imagine they mix so. And I mean, match I, them all. I, you know, I don't touch the things either. No. Um, I think they're horrible, to be honest. But yeah. um, happy to be an investor. Um, yeah, look, there is there is an element of that, but I think I think they've also got to continue coming up with with new and more exciting games as well. So you can't just sort of leave your stale old games there. And yeah. the good thing with Aristocrat is 
um, they do invest a lot in technology. So a lot of the newer games are much more like online gaming. Plus, they plus Aristocrat is uh, growing their. They they do have an online um, sort of gaming uh, right, betting okay. section right. as well. So they yep. you know you can't just have you know the same old game that that you know sure you smash the button and, and hope yeah you know wherever it works. So yeah, a lot of them are more sort of like online games, okay. more right. interactive. Yeah, so Ainsworth, I think, was probably making a much bigger fist of things five, ten years ago. So Len Ainsworth set up Aristocrat, uh, had a dispute and ended up getting bored out of that and then started up Ainsworth Gaming. And I think five years ago, it was really starting to emerge as a second player to Aristocrat. But I think Michael touched on an important point. It's very hard to compete with Aristocrat and the big global players. Aristocrat's probably spending as much on research and development per year than Ainsworth Gaming is valued at. Right. Um, and it is important to come up with good gameplay, good usability, uh, the good psychology that goes behind engaging the player. And I think all of that is being done very, very well at Aristocrat and perhaps has struggled a little bit at Ainsworth Gaming because their machine number sales have sort of come off significantly. Right. Uh, they've had to spend a lot in generating new games. And so far, the new games that they've, de they've developed seem to be doing quite well. Even through last year, they saw a big pickup when others such as Aristocrat didn't. So that's probably why you've seen the big recovery in share price. But over a five year, 10 year period, the share price is still a long way from the highs. And it is a fickle environment. You do have to continue mm. to come up with new games yeah. to engage the participants. Um, and you do have to get in front of the decision makers at big casinos and big clubs yeah. in order for them to pick up your games. You need to show that your games have low maintenance um, time and, and lower periods of outages and those sorts of things. So there are many, many issues that these companies need to consider and that the buyers consider. Because obviously if a game's out of action for however long, they're not very happy because they're not making money on it. So I think at this point in time, Aristocrats in a far superior position uh, and also has that diversification factor with the online yeah. uh, social gaming that they've now got to. And also, um, again, I don't know a heap, but just my involvement in Port Adelaide because we're trying to get yeah. out of poker machines in our clubs but uh, and have about half, I think, them uh, now than when I started. But it is amazing, um, and this is how club, clubs operate, putting in these new machines, what it does yeah. to the return of them and sort of where we're trying to fatten them to sell them yeah. basically and get rid of yeah, them but <laughs> I, I was stunned when it was explained to me a couple of new machines uh, and rotate them around yeah. there's a real art to it which which is a bit sad because it's all about yeah. getting people to play more of it. well they, mm. they the psychology is enormous and i think these yeah. days as well you can have multiple games within the one machine Right. Whereas in the past, it was either, I remember, sort of Queen of the Nile or, or Big right. Red. Or and he used, either to one of he used to pull the thing down. I walked <laughs> yeah. by one the other day and I, I didn't know well, how now to there's, it, literally. There's literally four or, four or six games that you can then pick which one you want. So each machine yeah. is so much okay. more diverse than it, All right. it was. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yep. All right. Uh, there you go, Jake. Uh, good discussion there on Ainsworth Game Technology. And it's a classic story. Founder has a dispute with it moves yeah. out, sets up a competitor, will it do as well? It's an interesting story. Um, now, John wants to view Michael Wayne on DXN Limited, the uh, mm -hmm. data center specialist, got clients like Newcrest Mining, CPS, Streamline Connect. Um, good increase in sales yep. in the last uh, last financial year. 
uh, data centres that are been a hot sector over the last year or so. It's been off the last, yeah, five years. I think everything sort of started with Next DC DC, coming onto the scene. Um, And that thirst for data and the use of the cloud is only going to continue exponentially. Um, But not all data centres operators are the same. Um, There are are quite complex parts that need to be considered. Mm -hmm. You need to be in the right location. Um, You need to be competitive relative to your competitors in that you're not charging too much, but still making a margin. Um, Some of these centers own the land that they're on, whilst others don't. Um, So it's not just as easy as going out and setting up a data center and making big bucks. But this particular company seems to be doing relatively okay, um, but probably not the quality infrastructure that NextDC had and the first mover advantage that NextDC had by being in the prime locations. for instance, being close to the, the ASX uh, in the CBD here was probably a very important location to get early on. But once you've got that land grab, it's very difficult for someone else to come in right. and do that sort of thing. I mean, I know next DC are out at Macquarie Park in that sort of that park network. They're also up near the near the, the government offices. So there's all these yeah. different things that need to be taken into account. It's the word latency, isn't it? Latency. Because it's all speed. Even nanoseconds, nanoseconds. Make, a, make a big difference. And that's right. But people are happy to pay a premium to be in premium locations, yeah. um, which often is not just one on costs. Right. So okay. I, look, I uh, prefer... The share price is horrible, the five-year one. Yeah, I'm not sure Can if that's... I'm not sure if it's a backdoor listing or what, what's, right. a, what's okay. going on there. But next DC would probably be our, our preference in that right. space. Although okay. at the moment, I think a lot of it is COVID-driven again in that there's a lot of expectation built into the share prices. Right. You saw Megaport, which is a similar business, not pure okay. data centres. That's come back a little bit. Next DC has been sort of oscillating as well, because everyone thought lockdown, everyone's going to be sitting at home, we're going to use so much data, and that bid up the prices, and they've since sort of had those expectations recalibrated. All right, Michael Gable. Um, I think this one makes makes for a tough investment, because as as Michael mentioned, it's, you know, it's easy for the bigger players. I mean, this this company's got a market cap of about 17 mil. Um, they recently seventeen seventeen one seven one zero wow one um, seven one wow. seven and they they That's picked up a couple of contracts that combined are worth a million bucks, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Um, but again, if you you know if you're wanting to entice decent money, you need to have you know very expensive property. And how are they going to to compete with with an XDC? Um, yeah. So it's almost. Uh, yeah, just they're, they're, they're like on the hamster wheel, I guess they just can't get off because you need, you need that scale to be able to attract the bigger customers. So yeah. I think this could continue along as a viable business and, and make money for the, for the owners and shareholders, but um, I think it's hard for them to, to get scale and, and I guess as an investor on the ASX, um, you're not going to see much return from um, your investment dollar. I mean, a, a good example is the um, this recent announcement where they've they've won a million dollars in contracts and and the share price. I mean, it hardly budged. It it went from sixteen cents to seventeen and back to sixteen yep. or whatever it's doing. So, yep. it's not going to deliver you the returns that, that you're after as an investor. So, okay. fortunately, I'd stay away from it. All right, um, Gary Michael Gable wants a view on the Star Farmer, um, mm. chief executive of. Star Farmer was on Ausbiz um, only about an hour and a quarter ago. 
Um, they've just announced that their antiviral nasal spray, Viralese, is going to be sold through Lloyd's Pharmacy in the UK, which is one of their biggest pharmacy chains um, in the UK. So yeah. they're in... Star Pharma is all about delivering medication through sprays, isn't it? Is their point yeah, of difference? Yeah, they've got a few um, products which um, uh, which are antiviral. I mean, before before COVID, they had um, uh, sexual wellness products um, that had an antiviral uh, coating and all, and all that sort of thing. So they've been around a while. Their products are, are quite um, quite good and, and, and popular. Um, and they've now got this extra kick along with, with COVID because of these antiviral sprays. Um, having said that, I'm a little bit wary of any company that might benefit from just COVID. Um, so, you know, classic example was that Zuno that, that you know, yeah. was, was hot, hot, <laughs> hot stuff um, yep. last year and has just collapsed um, because obviously the whole COVID thing's fairly temporary. I know there'll be a bit of a, a tale of of demand for products like um, like the nasal spray antiviral because you know COVID isn't going to completely go away overnight and and there'll be uh, for probably for the next few years um, continued demand for these products but I think the, that demand will start to tail off so you have to factor that in and then it goes back to just being the company potentially that it was before um, but look the products are great I think it's a really well-run company you know they've got a few different products there that are in demand um, and some pretty good announcements over the last month. So their um, their results in February are pretty good. Um, they announced the the take up of of this antiviral spray in in the UK. Um, but I was, as I've mentioned before, look at share price reaction to these things, and yep. and it hasn't had the best share price reaction to all this nice positive news in the last mm. month, which again tells me the market's already factoring it in. Right. Um, that's as good as it's going to get maybe for now. So ultimately, I think. The share price will come back to lower levels um, and that will be the better point to buy for investors as opposed to buying up here um, on all this um, exciting news because it seems like it's already priced in. Right, so if it gets down to those sort of levels, the, to, um, the bottoms there of the last last year, mm. then it comes back to reasonable value, I suppose, on the charts. Yeah, I guess if it's back to those sort of pre-COVID levels around sort of $1.20, $1.40, yeah. Yeah. Um, knowing that they've still got their existing business plus these additional yeah. um, bolt-ons okay. that they've developed, okay. then yeah, that will be better value. Interesting to watch. And Michael Wayne, what do you think of Star Farmer? Um, it's had a few different iterations, this company, uh, not so much iterations, but it was sort of ca first came onto the, the circuit couple of years ago. Um, I'm not sure what particular drug they're working on then. But again, it's second wind has come now with COVID and the launch of this, this nasal product. Um, primarily, I think its original purpose was it improved and enhanced the use of other drugs and made sure that those other drugs were finding their way to the right part of the body. Uh, they've got some sexual wellness sprays as well, which, which kills off STIs. Um, they've <coughs> also got this COVID nasal spray now, which is meant to kill the COVID virus in the nasal passage before it reaches the lungs. Mm. What I quite can't get my head around though is how often do you have to spray? You know, what if <laughs> yep. it, what if it comes in? How long does it, how long does it take for the the COVID virus to make it into your lungs, etc.? So there's all those sorts of things. But this but this um, contract to sell into this UK chain of pharmacies is a positive for them. Absolutely, they'll give them some great revenue, which will allow them to continue to reinvest into other parts of their business. 
Uh, the question is, will it be that effective, this particular drug? Um, will it actually start to taper off once the vaccines and stuff are rolled out? So there's a few, lo there's a few questions that need to be answered from my perspective. So I would prefer to be buying in around, you know, 60 cents or a dollar than up here. Right. Uh, you have to really understand the machinations of this company and where their long-term revenue source is truly going to come from. I don't necessarily think that this COVID nasal spray is going to be the be all end all for this company. They're obviously targeting something before that pre-COVID. What was yeah. that? Uh, and will they be focusing their, their attention back onto that product to drive true long-term yeah. sustainability and growth it's in their really earnings? It's really interesting with these sorts of companies because you think, you know, that's terrific. It's great yeah. medical technology that's developed in Australia and you wish them well yeah. and you want them to do well. But to succeed as a business, you almost need a portfolio of products, yeah. don't you? Because uh, it, it's the more we talk about them here on the call in the last year, the more you realise really is pretty risky area. Yeah. Uh, once you get the golden ticket, you're off and running, but you've got to have a few lines in the fire. That's right. I think they do have that. They've got a few different projects that they're working on, but none of them yet are at the commercial right. stage where okay. they're really generating decent outcomes from them. Yep. Okay. All right. And our final stock uh, to look at today, Ben wants a view on Imracor Medical Systems, another sort of medical type group, design manufacturers, sells MRI compatible products for cardiac catheter uh, procedures to treat arrhyth arrhythmias. So again, a really specialist area yep. as well. So basically like heart murmurs from what I can understand, um, yep. rather than using an x-ray guided catheter, you can use this particular process, which is less invasive, more accurate. Yeah. Um, they've developed the product. Sounds, sounds quite good. Sounds quite good. Um, yeah, all, yeah. And often these technologies are wonderful, but it's a matter of now commercializing it, going into clinics and hospitals yeah. and getting these different um, systems set up so that doctors are using them across the board, not just in, I think, nine hospitals where they're at, at the moment. Right. So basically they go into a clinic, they'll set up a lab where you can use this different apparatus. But doctors and, and clinicians are by nature quite conservative. Mm. Um, and it can take them years and years to change their tried and, and tested ways. And that's the challenge for this business who's now developed what seems to be a product that works really well. The next challenge is to now move to the next phase. And it's always takes up a lot of cash. You need to increase your staff numbers um, and your sales force to really get out there and spread the word. Um, yeah. COVID was a big issue for them because obviously it stopped a lot of those sales meetings that would have normally been taken place. But they need to reach a point where the scale kicks in and they're selling not just one or two of these different labs, but they're selling tens of them at a time. So yeah. that's a bit of a process. And for that reason, it's, it's too risky for us. But I, I do really like this company and what they've developed. It's just a matter now of going to the next big leagues. Yeah. Because you can have the product, but That's it boils it. down to old-fashioned sales. You've got to flog the product, and people are going to be prepared to pay That's the price it. and buy it. They could they? run out of money before you know the company, before the world even ever catches on. Yeah. So yeah. it could be a long process. Yeah. And shareholders have got to keep willing to put more and more capital in for equity raisings and that sort of thing. Yeah. Michael Gabel, what do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, as, and as a positive, they have um, they've signed some deals with Siemens and Philips for some of the products to help mm. help distribute. Mm. So they're, they're on the way there. Um, one of the risks, and, and this goes back to Star Pharma and a lot of the others, fantastic product, but it all comes down to what price you want to pay. And I guess, you know, the, the, you know, the ASX is a double-edged sword in that 
um, share prices can be quite high or low at various points in time. So you look at a company like um, like this one, and over the last year, it's traded as low as eighty cents and as high as two dollars eighty. So, yeah. you know, if it was a private unlisted company, you'd be able to go there and figure out a way to invest and, and a fair price. But here, you're at the whim of the share market. So, yeah, yeah if you were able, yeah, it's a great product, and you're paying about a dollar for it. That's great. But if you've recognised it's a great product, but the rest of the market's driven the thing up to two fifty, two eighty, then you kind of have to pay that to, to get in or you, you wait yep. and maybe end up missing the boat. And this is the dilemma. So again, it's it's at the upper end of that range. And the way I'd approach it is, okay, if I've done my homework, I really like this company, I want it to succeed, I think it'll succeed. Um, you just have to try to avoid paying those 250 levels and finding that that it's actually really worth a dollar mm. something, but, but you've just paid high because that's what the market's yeah. pushed it up. So ultimately, look, I couldn't take the risk on this because of that huge range from $0.80 cents to $2.80. Um, you know, maybe if it comes back closer to a dollar and you believed in the company, great, but up at yeah. these levels, I think you're taking a lot of a lot of risk there. Too high, but with the type of product, we wish them well and hopefully yeah. it does yeah. succeed. Yeah. yeah, We're all on the cheer squad for it, um, wanting it to succeed, but as an investment, not quite there at the moment. All right, let's recap our, our final five stocks. Jumbo Interactive, hold from Michael Wayne. Michael Gable prefers Aristocrat. Uh, Ainsworth, uh, a no from both. Uh, DXN, a no. Uh, Star Farmer, a no. And Imracor in the same boat. Michael Gable, good to see you, mate. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us today. And Michael Wayne, thank you. The thank you. Big effort in the aftermath of the wedding. Uh, <laughs> be back on deck, which is good. Uh, enjoy your honeymoon. Yes, the right. bliss, the wedding bliss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that's uh, our show for today. If you'd like to uh, uh, send us any stocks that you suggest that we cover and put to our panel, email the call at osbiz.co. Uh, osbiz.com.au rather or tweet us using the at osbiz tv handle reminder to find all the stocks in the calls portfolio head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio um, and also don't forget to subscribe to the osbiz newsletter the cob it's in your inbox at 5 30 p.m every afternoon with a wrap-up of the day in markets and business you get scuddy's view you get the COB, a link to the COB podcast, the most popular videos that people are watching. You can do all that. Subscribe, osbiz.co forward slash the COB. And uh, just on a programming uh, note, we'll speak to Spirit Technology MD, Sol Lukatsky, uh, after the company acquired NextGen um, in a move to uh, double its B2B. Uh, customer base. Um, Sol is on the program or on the stream here at Ausbiz at 1.40 this afternoon. So uh, a lot happening ahead of us here on Ausbiz. You don't want to miss a minute. We'll be back after the break. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.